Yes, it's me, Mike Stone, and this is the Backseat Driver Podcast. It's the fastest, it's the friendliest, and it's for all the family. The Gas Shocks 116 Trophy and 120 Coupe Cup are the fastest growing race series in the UK, taking in six one-hour races and eight sprints at all the top circuits. Visit 116trophy.com to find out more and get yourself behind the wheel. Yes, it's me, Mark Stone, welcoming you back to the Backseat Driver podcast, Classic Le Mans Special 2023. I'm here at Classic Le Mans with Roger Townsend. He's probably the farthest travelled of all the drivers, all the way from New Zealand. Roger, welcome to the Backseat Driver. Uh, thank you very much. We're uh, really happy to be here again and pretty excited about the whole thing. It's an uh, incredible atmosphere, incredible event. So many special people. I just love the people. So much interest. Uh, couldn't be more excited, really. How many years have you been coming to Le Mans? Uh, this is only my second time. Uh, it's actually the third time for the car because it raced here in 1972 and was second in class and 11th overall. We raced it here last year. Unfortunately, my uh, co-driver had a wee incident with a Ferrari Daytona, so we didn't finish. Uh, so this year I'm doing it myself. Now, what does Le Mans mean to, to New Zealand? Because, I mean, it's, as I said, you're probably the farthest travelled. Uh, well, I guess as a 10, 11, 12-year-old crazy passionate kid, Le Mans is the first motorsport event that really comes to our attention, international motorsport event. Um, so many stories, so many heartbreaks, so much triumph, so much tragedy. Uh, you couldn't script it, really. Um, but it's, and, and I guess that's what the appeal is. It's about people trying to do their thing and trying to do it the best they can. And there's, there must be so many adversities with doing the 24-hour race. Trying to get these old girls to go around for an hour is a big enough job. <laughs> What is it about the Ford Capri? I mean, your RS Capri. Well, it was just the fact that I brought one, an X-Works car, about 35 years ago, which I still haven't finished restoring. And then this one turned up in a museum in Australia. So I thought I'd better have another one. And I restored it. And it's, it's great because it's a ticket to these events. You know, you, you've got to have something that's reasonably special to get in. And as far as I'm concerned, life's about events and probably motorsport events. Um, and uh, this car allows me to be here. There's nothing particular. Guess I've been a Ford man. I rally a BDA Escort. I, but not really. Just happened to be what was there at the time. It was the, the one I, the first one I brought, was a genuine works car, and there wasn't a lot of that sort of stuff in New Zealand. So I wanted a car that had history. And that's how I ended up there. What's racing like in New Zealand? Is there a lot of it? Because I must confess, in from in England where I'm from and in Europe, it's not something we hear a lot about, isn't New Zealand motorsport? Well, it used to be huge. We had a thing called the Tasman Series and uh, Jim Clark, Piers Carriage, Graham Hill, Chris Amon, Bruce McLaren, both Kiwis, they'd all come out and do our summer series in uh, three-litre Formula One cars. 
and it was a fabulous thing, and it, and it ran for years and years and years. We have a really, really strong motorsport. Uh, I wouldn't say following, because it's all rugby and cricket, to be honest, but we have a very hardcore motorsport community that usually punches above its weight, and we've got a lot of really good guys, Liam Lawson, Louis Sharp, Scott Dixon, the list goes on, uh, and they keep coming. So there's a real deep-seated passion, even though it is far from New Zealand's favourite sport, you know? Mm. So you'll be back next year? Well, I don't know. Um, my partner keeps telling me that I should stop risking my life and limb because um, she doesn't want to lose me, amazingly. I'm not quite sure why, but um, so we'll see. We'll leave that in negotiation. Um, we did Goodwood last year. We did Spa a month ago. Just bucket list, absolute pure dream for us events, you know. Um, I'd love to do more, but it's all money and time. And it's a long way to come. The 25 hours on a plane, yeah, it's a long way to come. <laughs> I've done it three times in the last month, and yeah, it's, it's a long way. Mm. Roger Townsend, thank you very much for joining me on the backseat driving. My pleasure. I'd like to welcome to the backseat driver, Eric Schitter, driving what is the smallest car here at Classic Le Mans, an Austin 7. Eric, welcome to the backseat driver. Thank you. What is, what is it like to drive the smallest car here? Um, I always love uh, Austin 7. And uh, just before I have a uh, Mini Marcos, but I can get in and go out. So I said the Mini Marcos to buy the 7. And uh, it was during the COVID. And uh, it gave me two years pr to prepare uh, Le Mans Classic. Why an Austin 7? Um, I always live in uh, British cars. Uh, my father uh, has an uh, English car garage. He was mechanics. And uh, when I was a little boy, uh, I slept in a speed, two-year Spitfire. My mother has run two, three Austin. So I think it was a good time to have an Austin in the family. Now, anybody who drives an Austin 7 is considered a little, little bit maybe eccentric. Um, I don't really understand the question, but uh, the, the thing is, uh, we, we can drive an Austin 7. We, we try to drive an Austin 7. Uh, no direction, no brakes. Um, an English uh, pilot just near by me. So just as usual, no direction, no break. But it's so fun that everything is okay. <laughs> Except the night, because we have no lights. It seems that we have two candles in front of the car. So. And what do your friends say about you racing an Austin 7? Um, no, it's French people have a... A good consideration for this car uh, because it was the same with Rosengar and uh, everybody, everybody says oh little car, little car, little car so it's very exceptional in the eyes of French people it's uh, 
extraordinary. And what is it like to be out on the Le Mans circuit in the Little Austin? Sorry? What is it like to be out on the circuit with this Little Austin? Um, on the track? Yeah. On the track, uh, by daylight, it's very fun. Very, very fun. And all drivers um, see the little car and say, Hello! <laughs> <laughs> uh, main problem it's a uh, straight line of Unodia. Uh, it's very, very, very long. You can take a tea with Crown. <laughs> so much, so much time. <laughs> Eric, it's been a pleasure chatting to you. Thank you very much for joining me on the backseat driver. Yes, thank you. Thank you too, uh, Mark. And uh, the main thing is the target for me just arrived on Sunday afternoon. <laughs> Once again, thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Bye bye. Here at Classic Le Mans with Prince Leopold of Bavaria. Your Grace, thank you very much for joining me on the Backseat Driver Radio. Yeah, thank you very much. I'm happy to talk to you. We are here stood by an iconic car. It's an iconic car that you drove, uh, BMW M1, uh, festooned with images of Bavaria. Yeah, that's a really outstanding moment for us because this car was uh, entered in 42 years ago. The same car and the same driver still exists. So we drive together with Christian Danner, Peter Oberdorf and myself. So that I think is very unique. Nobody has a car which still the same drivers exist. What's it like to be back at Le Mans? Oh, it's always very, very beautiful to come back to Le Mans. I've been driving six times Le Mans and um, it was always something very special because it's a very fast track and you have a lot of high speed on the straight and um, lots of braking. But it's uh, the scenery and the people and the, the whole surrounding is amazing. So it will bring back nice memories? It does, absolutely. Not so nice with this car because we didn't finish at that time. But we, we I think we're very well prepared to finish with this car uh, on Sunday. The BMW 1 was an iconic car because it was really the first of BMW's motorsport cars or M cars. Um, how did you come to drive this car in the first place? Well, um, I was um, uh, starting racing 60 years ago and then I became brand ambassador of BMW and also a works driver. So, I mean, a Bavarian car, Bavarian company, and a Bavarian prince. I mean, that's the best combination you can have. <laughs> Your Grace Prince Lupo, thank you very much for joining me on the backseat driver. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, hold your thumbs that we can finish the race. <laughs> this time the car will finish. I certainly think so, yeah. The BMW Classic has done an amazing job, you know, to enter this car here. It's a lot of work. It's, uh, it's been staying in the museum. So we have to build up the whole thing again, but it was, um, we made it, so we are here, so we are all happy to see my old colleagues <laughs> from from that from that, the time of 42 years ago. They have been changed, you know, the optical changed a bit, but they're still the same one. <laughs> Once again, Your Grace, thank you very much for joining You're welcome. me. Thank you very much.
I'm here with Robert Blakemore, a Curie Bertarelli here at Classic Le Mans. Welcome to the Backseat Driver. Okay, thank you, Mark. What's it like driving an Aston Martin at Le Mans? Because, I mean, the two go together inseparably. Yeah, uh, it's very special. I've been fortunate enough to race here on four occasions now, twice in cars that competed here in period, and being able to drive this iconic track in these cars is is sensational, fantastic. What's it like out there in cars of this age? It's good. It's a really nice track, actually. Um, the straights are relatively long. We're touching probably about 115 miles an hour at the end of the straights. Uh, but the cars go really well. We do much better on the latter part of the circuit where it's more twisty. Um, if we can tuck in behind a Bentley or something to get a tow, then we, we can shave something like six seconds off our lap time by using aerodynamics. But it's a great circuit for these cars. Really, really good. What's it like with the Bentleys? I mean, are, are they the vehicles that everybody says they are? Well, especially if you're following one, a slipstreaming one, or... Uh, undercutting one on a corner because they don't go around them as fast no I, I, last year we beat all of the Bentleys um, so they're, they're fantastic cars and you can see the, the change in the track has favoured cars with better handling um, so they're, they're magic on the straights but they just can't cope with the corners and the braking now in the marquee we're studying there's a quite a healthy selection of Aston Martins I conclude they are all looked after by you guys uh, mostly yeah there are a couple that um, that aren't but uh, four of the of the six are looked after by us yeah and I conclude it must be quite a big job I mean because racing on cars of this age they will require maintenance uh, to a degree but you have to remember they were uh, built to last for 24 hours around here so doing um, the relatively limited amount of running uh, that we do is not so bad uh, last year we ran about 580 miles in total during the weekend um, so yeah they've just been checked over now um, but uh, yeah it's really a case of checking and, and fixing any small uh, issues but as long as they're well prepped we're not expecting anything major how many races do you guys do because I mean you've just been qualifying I mean, how many races in total do you guys drive so we have today we have a 50 minute qualifying session and then tonight we have a I think it's a 35 minute night just practice it's not the times don't count for anything and then uh, we have three 45 minute races during the 24 hours and the night racing what's it like in comparison to daytime apart from the obvious <laughs> well actually the circuit is really well lit uh, for the important bits but when you get onto the Molsan straight and the other straights it is extremely dark um, especially with the very poor lighting that we've got. But it's so atmospheric. It's just such a, uh, I don't know, it's, there's something magical about doing going down the Molstown Strait at night in one of these. It's amazing. I conclude, though, it's a case of foot hard hit down until you see a countdown board. Yeah, so we, uh, there's 300, 200, 100 metres, so we're ba breaking somewhere between two and 100 metres to go. Um, but, yeah, exactly right. Robert Blakemore, Corey Bertarelli. Enjoy the rest of your weekend here at Classic Mall. It's been a pleasure chatting to you. Thank you very much, Mark. I'm here at Classic Le Mans with Simon King and Philip Sinclair Tisdale as they have just been out qualifying one of their Morgans. Gentlemen, welcome to the Backseat Driver. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Pleasure. What's it like driving a Morgan at Le Mans? I mean, I rally a 4-4, four, four, but I should imagine Le Mans is completely different, especially in one of this age. 
No, it's very good. I mean, the, the car's not the quickest thing out of there, but it corners better than a lot of things, and it's a lot of fun. Yeah, very true. You know, with the bigger blower Bentley sail past us, and we get to a corner and we sail past them. <laughs> um, and once we're out of the corner, they sail past us again. But it's a huge amount of fun. Um, and I'm very grateful to Simon for allowing me to share his lovely car. How long have you been racing here at Le Mans? Well, since 2014. 2014 is our first Le Mans Classic, and we've done it every year since. So, five times. I mean, what's it like racing here? I mean, you're on some incredibly historic tarmac. Well, the reason we keep coming back every time is it gets under your skin, and if you get the opportunity, then we have to do it. And it's great, you know, like you said, some fantastic cars out there, and to be able to, to mix it with those cars and just be part of the, the event is fantastic, and the, the track's just a, a bonus on top. And Morgan, I mean, as I said, I... Navigate, I'd navigational rally one. I mean, it, it, it really is, besides Bentleys, it really is one of the most iconic British brands that are still manufactured. No, absolutely. And uh, you know, I think it's often forgotten that, you know, while these Morgans never won their class in period, like the later car did in the, the 60s, you know, the, the same car raced in 38 and 39, finished both times, and it's still out there performing now. It's... Uh, fantastic legacy so you'll be back again next year and the year after and the year after I conclude well if, if invited and the car's still up and running then who knows well the one thing I know about mine and my Morgan is there you have to constantly maintain Morgans there it's it's never a job where you get to the end and say right that's it for a while next time you take it out something else will want doing to it there's always something to do and it's a wonderful hobby to have too and whenever I drive mine probably like yours they cause incredible positive interest wherever they go oh they do you know people are always sort of waving and like you say looking at it and saying well what's that and uh, surprised when they see Morgan on there then it's uh, yeah it's an honour to, to be out there in the car and the reception we get is fantastic and especially to be able to drive this fantastic circuit that must be a tick box for everybody who races to do Le Mans well I mean apart from slight variations and the a better road surface it really hasn't changed very much has it no no I mean in some ways we could do without the chicanes because we just want to keep the you know, momentum going as much as possible and that yeah it takes us a little while to, to get back up to speed again afterwards but yeah it's uh, it's fantastic Simon, Philip, thank you very much for joining me on the Backseat Driver. It's been a pleasure chatting to two fellow Morgan drivers. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you very much. Lovely to talk to you. Here at Classic Le Mans with Mark Paulson and his Tolbol. If, if that's correct pronunciation. Uh, it's a Torbo for a London Torbo. It's Taubo for a French Taubo. So it depends which one you're talking about, really. <laughs> this one is a Torbo, made in London in Bowlby Road in, uh, in Kensington. So uh, very much a London Torbo. I mean, looking at things, I mean, this is quite a famous car, is it not? Yes, yeah, it was one of the works 1930 Torbo racing cars that raced all over the place at Brooklands and the TT and Le Mans, of course. And this car came third overall at Le Mans in 1930 behind two Bentleys and also won its class and won the Index of Performance, which was very highly coveted back then. So, yeah, it's a very famous Le Mans car. It's great to have it back here. How long have you owned it? 
well, it's not actually my car. It's owned by a very good customer of ours called uh, Adrian Montague, and he's very kindly let me drive it because we're, we're Torbett specialists, so we look after this Torbett for him and some other Torbett's he's got. So, uh, so yes, he's, he's let me kindly drive it for him here. So, how many times have you raced at Le Oh, six, I think. Uh, yeah, six or seven, I think, yes. Yes, I've been very lucky. I've raced Torbett's. Uh, and Riley's a couple of times, but mainly Torbert's. Torbert's are our, what we specialise in. So I've raced uh, this one, I've raced some of the Go cars, which are the slightly later ones, and I've, I've raced one of the BGH cars, which are the rally cars. So yeah, yeah I've been very lucky, raced a lot of different uh, Torbert's here. I mean, what's it like out there? Because I mean, this is one of the most historic circuits in the world and regarded by many as the greatest race in the world, be it f- classic or modern. What's it like out there, especially in an old car? Oh, it's absolute magic. Um, once, I mean, this pit complex, you could be at any circuit, but once you, you turn right, you know, through Tetra Rouge onto the Molsan Strait, and you get down towards, um, you know, uh, Arnage and Indianapolis and out in the woods, I mean, you could be in the 1930s. It's absolutely magical, and particularly at night, and then, then you really feel like you could be in the 30s. Yeah, it's, there's somebody that's a fan of racing history. It's, uh, it's just magic. It's an absolute privilege to race here. I, I can't say enough good things about it. I mean, I've been told... That racing at night time, there's nothing like the night time, and of course, cars of this age have to race with their period lighting. I mean, how do you go on out there in the pitch dark? Uh, it's not the lights aren't too bad. I mean, obviously they're nothing like as good as modern cars, but you know, it's got it's got 12 volts, so they're not too bad. But I mean, by that point, by the time you do the night bit, you've done a lot in the daytime, so you know where the road goes anyway, really. So it's not too bad. It's not too bad. It's as I say, it's it's, it's, it's the romance of it and just the magic of it at night are great. And if, even if you can't see everything, it's it's still it's still terrific. And I mean, it's very atmospheric. I mean, when you're driving round, you're driving round on tarmac with some of the greatest names as drivers and manufacturers have been there before you. Yeah, yeah, indeed. I mean, this very car I'm following in the wheel tracks of the the, the, the famous drivers that drove it in 1930. Um, you know, and obviously they were doing something much more heroic. They were racing it for 24 hours on a road surface that was much worse, you know, in much more difficult conditions, really. So what we're doing is, is sort of a tribute to the you know, heroics of what we people were doing in the 30s with these cars, where obviously they raced them for much longer in a, in a, you know, in a more difficult circuit, you know, whether before there were chicanes or anything, where you were flat out for ages and, you know, no crash barriers, just grass verges and trees to, to hit if you went off. So... You know, what we're doing now looks relatively easy in comparison, but it's, you know, it's great just to be able to pay tribute to those heroic uh, era, really. Mike Paulson, thank you very much for joining me on The Backseat Driver. A pleasure. Thanks very much. I'm here, as always, at Classic Le Mans 2023 with Chris Spencer and Scott Renner, who are... Well, one's racing and one's spannering on the 1951 four-cylinder 1500 Jowett Jupiter. Gentlemen, welcome to the backseat driver. Thank you. Thank you. Now, uh, it isn't really known, but Jowett raced at Le Mans and did well. They won their class. I mean, can you tell us a little bit more about all this? They did indeed. Uh, In 1950, they they won their class in the under one and a half litre. Uh, but then came back in 51 and uh, and in 52 and again won it. So uh, three years consecutively. And it was always the uh, is always the Jupiter that raced. Correct, correct. 
at Le Mans. They did run the Javelin, which is the sedan the Jupiter was based upon, uh, very successfully in various races and rallies. And from there, the uh, Leslie Johnson of ERA went to the factory and said, you guys need to make a sports car. So they took the fourth chassis they had built and entered the 1950 Le Mans. Now, listeners might realize that we have an American accent here with Scott Rennie, but the two thi- the thing is, with Chris and Scott, they are the t- world's two leading Jowett restorers. One in England, one in America. I mean, what is Jowett like in America? Uh, surprisingly, there are a great number of Jupiters there. About a third of the total production of 900 went to the U.S. because post-war they needed the cash. And uh, the majority landed in California and New York. I'm based out of Los Angeles. So currently within, oh, let's say, 20 miles of my base, there's about uh, 10. And just in the state of California, I'd say there's somewhere around 16. And those are uh, running cars. And then there are a few that just turned up. Uh, there were two found in a field back in March, uh, north of San Francisco, a town called Petaluma. They'd been there for well over 50 years, just in a field. And a friend of mine spotted them after he was told they were there, went on Google Earth, said, well, let's go see. And the funny part is at about 4,000 feet of elevation, when they were directly overhead where the cars were parked, you could immediately see there were two Jupiters in a field. Now, what are they like to race? Uh, they're, They're actually quite good. In period, they weren't particularly fast but their handling was so far superior to everyone else so with four torsion bars and what we now call a five link rear end two trailing arms and a bernard rod uh, they handled extremely well uh, very torquey motor and obviously they did pretty well when they were racing them as a modern car uh, they actually are quite predictable you would think maybe with the motor in the front that you'd have uh, oversteer everywhere and that's not quite the case so they're very predictable. They stick very well. Period breaks are period breaks, but you just have to learn to accommodate that. And, I mean, out there at Le Mans, I mean, it is the world's most famous race. It's considered the world's greatest race. What's it like being here with the car? Oh, it's a fabulous event to be here, but it's a very special year for Le Mans with it being their centenary. But the the club that supports Jowett, the uh, Jowett Car Club, uh, it's also our centenary. We are the world's uh, oldest one-mate car club. Uh, we're very proud of that and, and it's great for us to be here in, in you know, what is a joint centenary. Uh, yeah. uh, and when you're out there, you're driving in the wheel tracks of some very famous names. Do, do you ever think about this when you're out there? Oh, constantly. That That is the one of the main attractions for vintage racing in general i think is you're you're going where famous names went you're if you will a bit of a reenactor uh but i would say the cars now are all of the cars now generally are better and better prepared and have a few tweaks that maybe didn't exist in 1952 but it's tremendous fun you're never i think more than a couple steps away from recognizing moss or fangio or brabham or anybody famous having been there before you and as the man on the Spanish, Chris, what's it like keeping this thing out there and racing? It's a, it's a, it's a challenge, and uh, Scott's laughter in the background. Yeah, it's, it, it's very much a challenge, but uh, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a very fun challenge. And have you had the chance to go out there? 
Uh, yeah. tr Truck-wise? Not yet. Not yet, but... You'll be going out. You may be going out for a lap. Mm, possibly. Possibly. We'll Where's about the same size kid I have, so... <laughs> Gentlemen, thank you very much Fantastic. for joining me on the backseat. Thank you. It's been great. Yeah, marvellous. I'd like to introduce to the backseat driver here at Classic Le Mans 2023, Jean-Philippe Thierry. Jean's a little bit different in that fact he's a Frenchman who spends his time or divides his time between Germany and Brazil. He is also a TV producer, filmmaker and presenter. Jean-Philippe, welcome to the Backseat Driver. Thank you very much. Nice to meet you. What exactly are you doing here at Classic Le Mans? I am doing a report for another show, uh, which is named Autosport in Brazil. This is actually the biggest one in Brazil. And to give you an idea of how these guys love cars, we are talking about almost 8 million viewers each Sunday, not even considering streaming. <laughs> so you can imagine how they love cars. So what I want to do is bring them a taste of something they don't have at home. And this is what I'm doing here. So what, what is motorsport like in Brazil? I mean, everybody has heard of the Brazilian Grand Prix and Interlagos. But apart from that, and certain of the rallies, people over here, especially in England, don't really know what goes on motorsport-wise in Brazil. Well, uh, actually, people love cars as a whole. And motorsport is, of course, a part of this. I have to say it probably lasts a lot when uh, Senna was dead. You know, if you talk to Brazilian people, they will all tell you what they were doing exactly the days in you that Senna was dead. And it was a real trauma in Brazil. So it means... Just putting in, I can tell you exactly what I was doing the day that Senna was killed. So, so can I, of course. And, uh, you know, um, it doesn't mean that today they don't like uh, motorsport. Of course they do. I have to say... Uh, rally is not something they know so much. You have a small part of them we know very well. Those guys are absolutely patient about motorsport, but I would say the general public don't, don't know about uh, rallies. They know more about track and Formula One. So how much do the Brazilians know about and understand Le Mans, which, of course, is a completely different thing to Formula One and is regarded in many ways as now the greatest race in the world? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, of course, they know Le Mans. Who doesn't know Le Mans in the world? So they know Le Mans. But I guess probably they don't know so much about the history of Le Mans. Apart, of course, from those who are specialists as, as we are. Some of them are very knowledgeable about uh, uh, motorsport. So this is precisely what I want to do, somehow to bring part of this history uh, uh, to show them uh, what is Le Mans, actually. And Le Mans is 100 years, which is a lot of time uh, if you consider Brazilian history. So uh, uh, I guess it will be interested, you know, to see those old cars. You don't see so much in Brazil, actually. Do you think watching your film on Le Mans will make some Brazilians want to, to come here? Oh, certainly. I'm sure about that. It's a lot of movies, actually. And I guess <laughs> Le Mans movie was very successful in Brazil as well. So probably it uh, contributed to uh, increase the culture of Brazilian people regarding uh, motorsport. I mean, that was the one thing. Le Mans 66, as it's called in England, a lot of people viewed that, but they'd never seen the Steve McQueen film. So a lot of them watched Le Mans 66 and then went and got themselves a copy of Le Mans with Steve McQueen. 
did you find that happened after they watched the new version of it? Did a lot of people want to then go and see the Steve McQueen? Honestly, I'm not sure about this, because first, you have to consider the Brazilian demography. There's a lot of young people, and they're all modernists, you know? Uh, uh, Brazilian people are not always about history. They like, actually, present, future, they are very much about technology, for example, and this is why, somehow, I want to bring this report regarding Le Mans Classique and trying to mix all the times of Le Mans, including the future. And what does Le Mans mean to you? Oh, a lot. A lot, actually. Also, I have to say, honestly, I did not attend so many races of Le Mans. The first one I attended was 89. So it means the uh, last year with the old stand. And if you allow me, I have a small story about this in Great Britain. Uh, because for some reason, I was allowed it in the, in the old stand at that time. And in the morning, I could see this beautiful Aston Martin, which was not very successful, but coming back to the, to the pit with one wheel obviously damaged. And after 30 minutes, there was nobody in a straight line. I heard the engine of the car, and we were two, actually, French guys supporting Aston Martin. So we started shouting. And on the other side, there were a lot of Brits, of course, because they were supporting Jaguar. And at some time, a small group started to realize it was about a British car. And they started shouting as well. At the end, the wall, <laughs> the wall group was shouting, encouraging Aston Martin, going back on the track. So, if somebody wants to watch your film that you'll be making, how do they find it? Where do they find it? So, first, I, I'm afraid you have to speak Portuguese if you want to understand what I'm saying. Don't worry about that, because I watched the Modern Le Mans the other week on YouTube, and because they kept cutting the feed because of copyright, I listened to English commentary, German commentary, French commentary, Russian commentary, and... Portuguese commentary. Oh, nice. <laughs> so, and actually, you know, you can enjoy the picture as well yeah. without listening to the mistake I may uh, do speaking about <laughs> Le Mans. So, you can uh, search on, on the web uh, Globo Play and search Auto Esporte, which is the name of the program, and somehow, uh, probably uh, trying to browse Le Mans. I hope you will find it, actually, because I don't have the link yet, of course. The link will only exist once the program is broadcasted. Jean-Philippe, thank you very much for joining me on The Backseat Driver. Thank you very much, Mark. I'm here at Classic Le Mans 2023 with what or who has to be one of the event's greatest characters with one of the most unusual cars. Derek Drinkwater and Le Monstre, welcome to the Backseat Driver. Thank you. Yeah, it's a pleasure to talk to you. Um, we're here at Le Mans, and I mean, we've got here again, which is brilliant. Had a few issues with the car, but a fabulous event, and I can't describe what it's like to be here on the 100th anniversary. Now, this car is unusual, very unusual. And I know for a fact that this one is, this is a, a recreation of the original. Just tell us a little bit about this huge car. Well, 1950, Cunningham wanted to race two cars. He convinced Cadillac to sort of buy, convince, well, let's say beg, steal and borrow because he had no money to get two cars um, to race in 1950. One was a standard two-door and then he rebodied the monster which the French nicknamed the monster 
um, and it was designed from an aircraft company so it looks like a bit of a boat an aircraft um, but it handles and goes really well but the history it was the first overhead valve V8 it finished 11th um, after spinning off and hitting the sand so it should have finished seventh. So it's a quick car for its year. Now, I suppose you could say it's unusual. I mean, I suppose you could say it's a 50s take on aerodynamics. It was put in a wind tunnel, a dust cropping tunnel. Um, and I'm not sure they got it quite right, but because it wants to take off at 120. <laughs> um, it sort of it goes very light, so you're keen to get the brakes on. But it handles really well. So it's quite deceiving. It looks like... A matchbox on wheels. Now the one thing is, and I noticed the bonnet's up again, one of your great Le Mans stories is uh, changing engines uh, and having to work on the car. It seems to be a, a regular thing that will Derek drink water, will he, will he or won't he get the car out there? Yeah, we've, we've had gearbox problems in other races and last year we changed an engine mid-race um, and as they called us up we just got it running. Uh, I'm trying to sort of knock that trend. Um, we had a little issue last night. We had a problem with the valve um, that we've done and uh, a misfire now. So had a big spin and qualifying last night. But we're all ready for the Le Mans start. And I've been practising. I was going to say, I noticed on social media little videos of you running to the car and leaping over, not using the door. How's it going, that? Because, not being funny, you're similar to me. We are not of, shall we say, young and sprightly years anymore. No, but the Le Mans start is a big part for me about the crowd and the race. And I've, with my other car, in 2016, we were third off the line. So... This time, I intend to be first. But I've got a head start because the car's longer. But all It's I... already sticking out there a bit more. Yeah, we've got about two metres on everyone else. But the bruises on my bottom <laughs> for the practising of the Le Mans start, I hope, are worth it. Either it's going to go really well and going to be really quick, or I'm going to fall in the car. I mean, does this car still attract the attention that it that the original did and this has always on I suppose a stupid question in a way because we're stood in the uh, in the paddocks and the car is surrounded it everywhere we go the public love it because it's it's not an Aston Martin it's not a Lotus it's it's just something very unique and I think the people embrace what he tried to do and it's a crowd pleaser it's not a winning car it will not win it will do well um, hopefully, fingers crossed, we'll be midfield. But the crowd love it, so it's an entertaining car. And, I mean, like the modern race a couple of weeks ago, Cadillac, we're, we're back in business. I mean, they always have had a presence at Le Mans. Yeah, they've done really well. So the pressure's on for me to finish this year because last year we had an engine swap and then lap before the finish, the accelerator cable broke. What's that, the 10 cents washer? So... <laughs> Not being funny, how many cars have been put out of this race because of the failure of probably the cheapest component? Yeah, but this time we've got two accelerate cables. <laughs> so it's not going to be the accelerate cable that stops us. What's it like to be here at Le Mans and out on what is probably the one of the world's most famous circuits? It's a privilege. I'm honoured to be here with everyone else. You've got all these racers, drivers, cars. You know, it's just incredible. 
um, I get goosebumps every time I go out to the track to think that I'm following in footsteps of famous people. And the other thing is, I was talking to uh, John Lomas from Blue Diamond Riley Services. Every car here, unlike you go to a classic car show or something like that, where they're all nice and shiny and polished and there's not a blemish or anything, every car here is what you might call a working car. They're fantastic to look at, but if you hang around long enough, you'll see them doing what they were built to do, not just on show. And you're right, and everyone goes out there and they, they look after the car, but they actually race it. So there's nothing here that is, you know, oh, we've got a pretty car and we're just going out to, to play. They're going out there to actually drive the car. So. Derek Drinkwater, all the best. I hope everything runs smoothly. Have a fantastic 100th anniversary of the Le Mans 24. And thank you for joining me on The Backseat Driver. No, thank you. It's been an honour to speak to you again. Here at Classic Le Mans 2023, the 100th anniversary. And I'm here with Julian Grimwade and his fantastic 1929 4.5 litre Bentley Bobtail. I think we can safely say with uh, Julian, he's, one, he's a proper Bentley boy in the old style. Julian, welcome to the Backseat Driver. Oh, it's nice to be here, thank you very much. I mean, you absolutely epitomise a Bentley boy, don't you? Uh, in a way, yeah. I mean, I drive it places, I drive it a lot, I drive it to the race meetings. Occasionally I race it and I drive it home again. Because you've driven it down from England here down to Le Mans, you're going to race it and you have to be back home at a t- decent time because uh, you have a wedding to attend with it. Yeah, we've got a three-line whip out because my son's getting married the following weekend at my house, so I'm on pain of death of getting home, so it's uh, no messing about on Saturday. Now, as I said, you're a member of the uh, Benjafield uh, Racing Club, the Benji Boys. I mean, what exactly does that entail? Because, I mean, it's a club of some renown. It is a club of some renown, but it's actually very small. There's never more than 100 members. Um, you can't apply. You have to be asked. And the criteria really is to get a likelihood of being asked is to be a Bentley-owning racing driver. Don't necessarily have to race the Bentley, but you have to compete with it and turn up and do the rallies and other things, or race another car. And most of our members do all of those things. And the other thing is, interestingly, uh, the HQ's a uh, Borcliffe Hall in Yorkshire, is it not? No, that's not the HQ. That's uh, that's one of our members. But uh, it, we have had meetings there. Yeah, and we have been there. But it's a strange club. I mean, the last year's AGM was held in a jacuzzi. <laughs> Probably about right for you guys. Yeah, it, it shows a certain style, I think. What is it, though, about the vintage Bentleys, what you would call the proper, the W.O. Bentleys, the real ones? What is it about them? I mean, they have an aura. They, they have. They're just iconic. I mean, I, I, I'm too young, only just, um, to, to have wanted one, you know, because my dad had one or something. Um, but I've always wanted a Bentley. I think it was being scared or altered by having a scale electric Bentley when I was a kid. Um, and I just had that image in my head, and I was looking at them all my life, and when I came to a point where I could actually afford to buy one, and my wife, bless her, said, now's the time to get it, and this was 20, 2004. Um, we got one, I found what I liked. This one was, it wasn't actually what I was looking for, but it was a bobtail, which is unusual. They only made two bobtails with a spare wheel on the back, 
So I read up about it and thought, actually, that's just a little bit different. And it's a good car, a good collection of bits underneath it. So I thought, yeah, I'll go for it. And I haven't regretted it one bit. It opened up a new world. What are they like to live with? And what are they like to drive? They're very easy to live with because if you drive them regularly, they just keep going. They're fine. I don't have a sort of regular maintenance thing on mine. I, I change the oil when I think it's due. Um, I look at it regularly and when I run a cloth over it, you, you find nuts and bolts and things <laughs> that might be loose. Um, but they will go and go and go and go. They are really, really solid cars. Um, knowing what I do know about them is they will keep up with modern traffic, won't they? You, you're not at a disadvantage in a vintage Bentley. No, no, you can be merrily bowling down the motorway at um, 7014 and uh, <laughs> keeping up with traffic and it's fine. The only thing is that the brakes perhaps aren't as good as a modern car, so you have to think ahead a little bit more than you would, but no harm in driving, doing that when you're driving something this rare. And what's it like to be out on the uh, Le Mans circuit driving one? Well, I've driven it around here a few times. I, I used to regularly come down to the Classic before I started racing. Um, and I've, I've been on several track laps and things with Bentley motors and things around the track. Um, it's a big track. Um, it's very long, a lot of high-speed stuff. Uh, and it's quite a buzz, actually. Julian, enjoy yourself here for the rest of the weekend. It's been a pleasure chatting to you, and thank you for joining me on the Backseat Driving. on price never beaten on service whether it's cars bikes or commercials Hoddy tires are the best in the business and when it comes to tire expertise and advice to supplying the correct tires for your vehicle specific requirements nobody comes close to david lakin and the Hoddy tires team so give them a call on 01200 613 192 or visit the website at hoddytires.co.uk